Uh, so this morning, Corey is going to be uh, sharing with us. Um, and as I was working through the summer preaching schedule, um, I was not paying attention to the fact that today is Father's Day. It was just a Sunday that I wanted to take off for a variety, variety of reasons. So I was like, hey, Corey, why don't you preach on, on the 16th? And that's usually how that works out. That's usually how it works out. Yeah, so, so there's lots of forethought that goes into all the planning and things, right? So, um, But it is a great morning uh, for Corey to be sharing with us because... This is his first Father's Day, and so happy Father's Day. Thanks. So uh, let me pray for you, and then I'm um, looking forward to, to hearing from you. God, we thank you so much for Corey and Shelby and Cypress. God, we pray for a blessing on them this morning. Uh, be with Corey as he, he shares with us uh, from his heart, uh, from, from uh, the mess, as, as he's titled it. Um, God, we pray for, for courage for him as he speaks. Uh, give us ears to hear, and may we encounter you uh, through this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing? Good. Good to see you. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, so I know I'm a small white dude, but um, something that really encourages me is um, if y'all agree with something that I'm saying, say, give me, give, give me amen. Amen. Come on. Get it loud. So if y'all really agree with something that I'm saying, just be like, dude, amen. Amen. And if y'all really, really like what I'm saying, you can even feel free to be like, dude, preach it, brother. Like, preach it, man. Preach it. So I just want y'all to feel comfortable in that. Hallelujah. Yes. So it's a pleasure to see all of you this morning. Um, so there's a story about two young boys. Um, one's name is Michael, the other one's name is James. And James and Michael are really good friends. They're actually next-door neighbors. And they love going outside and playing with each other. Any game that you can think of that can take place outside, they play it outside, right? They, they throw the football around, they play catch, they, they play any game that you can think of. They chase each other, each other around the yard and everything. And James would always ask Michael, hey, dude, can we go in your house and play? And he's like, nah, man, sorry, we can't. And then in the same way, Michael would ask James, hey, dude, can we go play in your house, man? And he's like, nah, man, sorry, we got to stay outside. And they would each come up with, like, these really lame excuses, right? They would come up with these really really dumb excuses, like Michael would tell James, my sister's sick and I don't want you to get sick. They would say, my mom said we can't go inside today, it's too nice of a rainy day. She said we need to really enjoy it. I haven't taken my shower this week. Amen to that. Or I need to help my dad paint our fence again. And eventually after a while, Michael looks directly at James and he says, hey man, why don't we ever go in your house to play? He's like, you always seem to have some kind of an excuse. And Michael looks at him and says, man, you're one to talk. You say the same thing. You always have these excuses why we can't go inside your house. Then Michael looks down at the ground and says, you know, you're right. And I didn't want to invite you over. I didn't want to have you in my house because my house is always a mess. My parents don't really clean up very much. He's like, I thought that you would see me differently 
And I thought that you would treat me differently if you saw what a mess my house was. And James looks at him and says, it's okay, man. I didn't want to have you over because my house is dirty too. Now, you see, these two boys don't really exist. But in the same way, they do exist. You see, all of our names are Michael. All of our names are James. We are all these little boys. We have trouble letting people into our houses because we're afraid that when they see our house that they're going to treat us different or they're going to judge us because it's a mess. We don't let people into our houses because we're afraid. It seems as if we are so hesitant to allow people to see our mess that when people don't show us their mess, we get mad at them. But why would they show us their mess when we don't show them ours? Why are we so afraid of that? Now, I want to do something real quick because I like to involve you guys. So, real quick, close your eyes. And I'm being serious. Close, close your eyes. If your house is a, not your physical house, but if your house is a mess, raise your hand. Come on, be honest. This is a place where we can be honest. Your house is a mess right now. I ain't talking about your physical house, like I said. I'm talking about your life. If your life is a mess, raise your hand. Now, keep your hands raised. Keep them up. Keep them up. We'll get to it in a minute. I won't make you all tired. So if your hand is not raised, you understand that everybody has a messy house or has had a messy house, and you are okay with that? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise them. Raise them. Raise them. All right. Open your eyes. No, keep them up. Keep them up. I didn't say put them down. Simon doesn't say. I want you all to look around. Look around. Keep your hand up. Look around. Look at all of the hands that are up. Even in the back. Look. Look, man. Worship team ain't even got it going on. Listen. Let me tell you something. If you think that you are alone or that you should be ashamed because your house is a mess, think of all the hands. As y'all have looked around, think of all the hands. Picture all the hands. Because everybody in this room is struggling with something. Everybody in this room has a mess in their house. Everybody, me included. I've been here for almost a year now. I've gotten to hear a lot of stories. Stories of people both inside of this group, this community, and outside. I want to share one of those stories with y'all right now. Uh, just kicked out of the house. I started dealing drugs. I sold drugs. I was still working at UNM full-time. I was a fully functioning cocaine addict. And... Uh, then I uh, decided to quit that job, and I continued to do drugs uh, and uh, buy them and sell them and, and uh, use them, but especially use them. And it was, uh, it's what I wanted to do. In high school, I drank a little bit, 
And then in college, uh, I joined a fraternity, and we drank a lot. Uh, and I think that's really where my substance abuse started. I didn't have the greatest examples at home because both my parents drank hard liquor and uh, all their friends did. So I had some bad examples. Uh, but I was making my own choices by the time I was in college. Uh, then my dad died uh, when I was 27. And I felt a real big loss from his death. And at that point in time is when I began smoking marijuana. And uh, that was okay. I mean, it really, it really wasn't as destructive as drinking. But uh, after uh, a few years, I, I uh, had a friend that introduced me to cocaine. And I started doing cocaine. And I liked it a lot. It uh, kept calling me back, you might say. And I started doing more and more cocaine. Uh, we moved to Santa Fe. I continued to do cocaine. Uh, and, uh, and even while I worked there for the state of New Mexico, I was uh, liking doing cocaine. Of course, the pot and the drinking also continued. But uh, we moved to Albuquerque, and I started doing cocaine even more. Donna and I were having problems, uh, probably due partially to all of the things that we're going through, the changes and the, and the substance abuse. Uh, but I got to where I wanted to do it all the time and started doing it daily during the day. Uh, and that became a very, uh, a downward spiral, you might say. One day, I, I knew that I had been considering do I need to go see a divorce lawyer or what I need to do because this has gone on for a long time? And, uh, of course, I knew I'd broken my daughter's hearts and uh, that I'd really hurt Donna. So thinking about trying to go back was a hard thing to do also, to face all of that pain and the destruction that I had created. Uh, but one night I was driving around and I was high on cocaine and I was... Uh, had been drinking alcohol, but it was probably around two or three in the morning. And uh, I'd had several occasions where I felt like that I felt like Jesus was sitting on my shoulder telling me, I know everything that you're doing, and uh, you're not, you know, you're not making the right choices. These are bad choices. Uh, it was really at that point in time that I decided that. This is, I have a second, I have a chance to make this, help make this right. And so I called Donna, I think it was the next day. Uh, we'd been talking a little bit, but I, I talked to her about us getting back together. And uh, she needed to think about it. And it was a day or two later, and she called me and said, yeah, she wanted to try. I didn't realize for quite a while that he actually had a purpose behind all that. And that was to help others. We've had couples that have come to us and uh, they are ready to split up, call it quits. Uh, they, they can't talk to each other anymore. They can't, um, really don't even want to live in the same house anymore. And uh, they're at the end of their rope. Well, 
God has a funny way of using that kind of obstacle to um, make you stronger. That's what he did with Don and I. He put us at the end of our rope, and we used our ability to overcome that obstacle to help others. My name is Bill, and I believe that uh, God had uh, a great purpose for me here on earth. To serve others, uh, to serve him, to be part of his church. And he found me when I was at the end of my rope and helped me make the changes that I need to be who he wanted me to be. So, first of all, um, thank you, Bill, for sharing with us. Um, you see, my mess may not look like yours, but a mess is a mess regardless. Anybody that looks at, at Bill doesn't think about the mess behind it. Nobody looks at, at Bill and says, man, dude, Bill, when I look at you, I don't think that you used to sell drugs, man. But that's a mess. That's a mess. And it's okay that you have gone through or you are going through a mess right now. That is okay. Because none of us have the right to judge each other for the mess that we're in. Because we are in a mess ourselves. We have no right. None. There is zero excuse. Because if you're not in a mess today, you might be tomorrow. Because let me tell you something, brokenness does not discriminate. Pain does not care about your socioeconomic status. Brokenness does not knock before it enters. It doesn't give you its planner for your life. Life is messy. Life is not about to ask you if you're ready for what's coming before it happens. Because let me, let me share my mess. Father's Day is very hard for me. I have a really, really tough time. My dad passed away on Father's Day 2004. And, you know, it doesn't get any easier. You just learn how to cope with the pain. You just learn how to mask it. And I'm done with it. I'm done with masking my mess. I'm not doing it anymore. Because the pain doesn't go away. It just seems to become easier, but it doesn't. The brokenness of this world didn't care that an innocent nine-year-old boy had to watch his dad die of a heart attack in front of him. Brokenness doesn't care. Pain doesn't care. And pain also doesn't care about the scars that are left on me from watching that. And this life doesn't give me any way of saying that that is okay, because it's not. Nothing is okay about that. Life didn't care that my dad is not going to be there to teach me how to shave. Life doesn't care that my dad's going to be there to give me talks. 
pain does not care about what a mess my house was afterwards. It couldn't care less about the scars that are left on my house. Darkness doesn't care about about what a mess my house is afterwards. And the Michael in me didn't let the James in. Michael didn't let James in the house to see the mess, to see the brokenness, to see the pain, to see everything that was going on in my life at that moment because my house was too messy to show. My house was too messy to let them in. And I was ashamed of the mess. Inside, I'm struggling because I don't have another man in the house. No father figure left. Nothing. Brokenness does not care. But the thing that I failed to see, the thing that I failed to think about, was all of the hands that are raised. Not only in this room, but all the rooms that I've ever been in. I didn't consider that the community that I longed for for so long could handle the mess that I was in. That wanted to handle the mess I was in. I doubt if there's anyone in this room who hasn't experienced pain or suffering in some way, shape, or form, now or previously. I highly doubt it. So why do we feel like we're alone? Why do we feel like we are by ourselves? We are isolated from everybody else. Why does that go through our minds? Why? I think the enemy likes to isolate us in our time of pain and suffering. Saying, Jesus ain't with you, man. Jesus ain't there. Where's your God now? Where's he at? And some people listen to him. But you know what? I've said it before and I'll say it again. When you're in this time of mess, when you're in this time of pain, when you're in this time of suffering and all this stuff is going on to you, you can either run away from God or you can run to him. There ain't no in-between. There ain't no in-between. I'm 24 years old, but I'll tell you what. You can either run to God or you can run away from him. You ain't going to stay stationary. You can't. It's impossible. I think that The enemy likes it when we don't involve each other. We don't talk about it. It gets swept under the rug. So if we have a mess in our lives, we should be able to come here, not saying that this place is some kind of castle or fortress where you hide from the darkness that's out there. That's not what this place is. This place is a place of gathering to energize and love each other and structure each other and build each other back up so then we can go back out into the world and conquer the darkness that's in it. That's this place. That's what we're here for. My purpose here is not to give you the best show that I possibly can. My purpose here is to talk about life. Talk about struggle. And how we can overcome it and help overcome it. That's why I'm here. We are all wrestling in here every single one of us is wrestling with something 
we're all struggling. There ain't a person in here that's got it all together. Because if you did, you wouldn't be here. And that's the truth. So, like I said, if we have a mess in our life, we should be able to come here not feeling ashamed or discouraged because that we are wrestling, not because we are struggling through life, but because we need this. Every single person in this room needs this community. That's, we all need that. We all need it. Nobody can struggle by themselves. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, that we should aim for restoration and comfort each other. If that's the command that we are to have, then why do we struggle alone? The answer is that we shouldn't. If anyone struggles and stumbles, his brother should pick him up and help him. Can I get an amen on that? If anyone is struggling, if anyone has their hand raised, their brother should be there. Their sister should be there. Because like I said, my mess may not look like yours, but a mess is a mess regardless. We shouldn't listen to the voice of the enemy telling us that we are alone and we can't go to anyone Because trust that in this mess, all of the people that have their hand raised are willing to help you. We are a community. If you didn't know that before, now you do. I should be able to go to Arthur and tell him, dude, I'm struggling real hard. Can you help me? Dude, this is what's going on in my life. And we should all feel like we can do that because we can and we need to. Isolation is the enemy. In John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene is at a moment where her house is a mess. She's standing by the tomb crying because Jesus has just died. And then Jesus appears to her and he says, why are you crying? And Mary, thinking that he's a gardener, says, that they've taken Jesus' body away. She goes to look in the tomb, and his body isn't there, and she freaks out. How many times can we identify with Mary? We're sitting outside that tomb, and we're crying, and we're thinking, man, where's Jesus? Because I'll tell you, when I was sitting there, and the ambulance is taking my father away because they're trying to save him, I have that. I'm Mary. I'm like, dude, where's Jesus? Where's God? And that's a hard question. In that time, that is a hard question. (laughs) Because we can't come to grips with the fact that he is right there in the midst of it all. We can't get it. Sometimes it's easier to see the gardener than it is to see Jesus. Sometimes it's easier to see this, this stranger that's sitting there because our, our eyes are covered and we're masked and, we, and our vision is foggy because of what we're going through. And it's so hard to identify that Jesus is sitting right there. It's so hard. And we, and we look at Jesus and we say, where is Jesus? It's like, dude, I'm right here. 
my hair real quick. Mary shows up at the tomb and doesn't find Jesus' body, and she has the same reaction that we have. She assumes the worst. She's, she sees that Jesus' body is gone, and she immediately thinks that he is gone. When in fact, he's standing right next to her. But then when she realizes that Jesus is there, what does Jesus tell her to do? He says, go tell the others. He sends her to tell the others that he is in fact here. And if you're in a spot where your house is a mess, you're Michael or you're James this morning, Jesus is here. Jesus is right next to you. He ain't the gardener. He's right there. Because the other disciples are, are in a room somewhere, locked away, because they are terrified, because Jesus just died. And they're afraid. I mean, we would be, we, we would be afraid too. I don't want to be ignorant about it. I don't want to say, man, no, I'd be on fire. I'd be going out there and talking to people about Jesus. No, man. I don't want to kid myself. Because this, this man that was supposed to take away all the brokenness, this man that was supposed to take away all the darkness, this guy who was supposed to deliver us from pain, is now dead. Put yourself in those shoes. And walk for a while. But Mary comes to the disciples and tells them, I have seen Jesus, and he was right there next to me the whole time. He was right on my shoulder. He was right there with me. And there are times where we are Michael. We are James. We're Mary. We are those people. And our house is a mess. We are messy. Life is messy. People are messy. But don't feel isolated. Don't feel alone. Don't feel like nobody in this room can, can handle what you're going through. But in the mess, Jesus is there. And we have this community that's there too. Because we are not alone. In this mess, we are not alone. All right, we're going to come to a time of prayer and communion. Uh, but before we, before we enter into that time together, um, I wanted to pray with, pray with you guys real quick. Father, thank you so much for our community. God, thank you so much for this group of people. I thank you that in the midst of all of the pain and suffering and brokenness that this world brings, that we still have you standing there with us. God, in the midst of the brokenness, you are still present. God, I pray that we would be people who bring that presence into reality. Father, send us where brokenness is and help us to redeem and restore that place in your name. Father, I pray this morning that we would truly be your hands and feet in this world, that we would be salt and that we would be light. And Father, most of all, thank you for your son who died for all of us. That in the midst of the pain and the brokenness, we still have hope. 
Jesus, in whose name we pray.